Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that I had a miracle cure that would guarantee you and your family living to a ripe old age whilst feeling vigorous, fit and fabulous. Would you be interested? Well, I do. It's called Healthy Living. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. Healthy Living for Families Made Easy. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, wonderful friends. It is Dr. Orlina here with Fit and Fabulous at 40 and Beyond. I hope that you are feeling fit and fabulous and you don't have to be 40 to listen to this podcast. You're welcome to listen to this podcast at absolutely any age whatsoever. Now, I'm super, super excited today to welcome an amazing guest called Chef AJ, who is going to talk to us all about um, vegan cooking, which I'm really excited to talk to her about. Now, actually, when you listen to the podcast, one of the things that I think really comes to the forefront of this podcast conversation is number one that vegan food isn't always healthy it's perfectly possible to eat unhealthy vegan food and also she talks a lot about emotions and emotional eating and you know that I love talking about emotions and emotional eating so talking about ending emotional eating my new what I'm going to call mini product is up and running I'm super super excited about it I have rejiggled it a little bit and I have got some new and exciting bonuses for it so let me tell you what it is right now you get the end emotional eating masterclass so that you can basically understand emotional eating and understand that it's not your fault you're human you've got a human brain you've got a human body but understand what's going on so that you can then make plans to move forwards and not do emotional eating so then you get the emotional eating the end emotional eating worksheet which is really walking you through the four simple steps that you need to walk through in order to fix your relationship with food. And you also get a copy of my Pamper Pack, which is basically the tools that you need in order to change your relationship with food. So what I've added as bonuses, so that's the package. And then as bonuses, you get a copy of my book, my PDF book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me PDF, where you've got far more habit trackers um, and gratitude journals and all of those things. My amazing book, um, End Emotional Eating Meditation, um, and a Mediterranean style diet handout. So you can start to think about the Mediterranean style diet and also a handout which has got healthier treats. So 11 easy recipes that you can enjoy that are much, much healthier than sugar and chocolate and all of those things, but so that you can still have some of that amazing, okay, I'm just going to have a little, you know, I've got a sweet thing going on, but I'm going to fill that with something that isn't 
not great for me. Did I say that right? You know what I'm making it, talking about. So amazing, amazing. I'm super excited about this package. At the moment, it is $27. The price is going to go up to $37. I'm not 100% sure, 100% when. And there's also a seven-day money-back guarantee. So listen, this is everything you need to understand emotional eating and all of the tools that you need to make a big change. And having coached so many people in the last however many years, I've lost track of time. The one thing that I really see that unites everybody is emotional eating. If you want to lose weight, if you want to be more healthy and you're not getting there, it's the emotional eating piece that is really, really important. And what I see is I can tell you how to eat. The vast majority of people will start doing it and then emotions get in the way. And unless you look at that emotional piece, nothing changes. And so this will help you fix that relationship with food and in an easy, easy way. So go and check that out. I've got a whole new page. I'm super excited. It's taken me days to put this page up. There's so much information to give you, but go and check it out. I'll leave the link in the show notes. As I say, right now it's $27, but it is going to go up to $37. Okay, let's talk to Chef AJ and find out about vegan cooking. I am super, super, super excited to welcome Chef AJ to talk to us all about the vegan diet. Chef AJ, welcome and thank you so much for being here with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a topic that I'm very inspired by. Perfect. Well, that is what I hope to do, inspire people. So I'd really love to start at the beginning and ask you, why vegan? What got you into vegan? (laughs) Well, when I was 17 years old, I was a freshman at the University of Pennsylvania and I was studying to be a veterinarian. And I always joke, instead, I became a vegetarian (laughs) (laughs) because we were required to work for a veterinarian as part of the program. And I was assigned to a veterinarian who was doing protein lens regeneration experiments in the amphibian. And on the very first day of the job, he hands me a tank of live salamanders and he asked me to decapitate all of them. Now, I'm a person that just was very squeamish anyway. I could never go fishing or put the worm on the hook. I never liked blood. I have to look the other way when getting even a simple blood test. And I didn't want to do it, but I was worried that my future would be at stake. And so I did decapitate one salamander and I just puked my guts out. I just was horrified at what I did. And I went to the student health center because I was just, I was actually vomiting. It was such a traumatic experience for me. And in that moment, I became an instant ethical vegan. And what happened to your career as a veterinarian? (laughs) Well, I never became a veterinarian. Which is probably good because, you know, really, I love animals, but I really, I, I don't think I have it in me to, you know, be you know, doing things like surgery. And I, mean, I never was really good at math anyway. So, it, you know, it was fine. But I, I did go to an Ivy League school, University of Pennsylvania, and I, I changed majors. So, yeah, I mean, but it you know, was a pivotal moment in my life because I had no idea at the age of 17 on September 1st, 1977, that, uh, you know, I would become, a, a, you know, an ethical vegan who's now in the Vegan Hall of Fame, let alone, you know, a chef. So, you know, I, I think things happen for a reason. And sometimes when things happen, they can be really horrible, traumatic things. When you look back on your life, you're like, wow, but if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened. So I think you have to always try to find the gift in everything that happens. So true. I love that message. I love that message. So going back to your journey, you became a vegan, but did you start being chef AJ or what, what happened? No, I, you know, I honestly didn't become chef AJ until I went to culinary school. 
And that was not until I was 43 years old. That would have been in about 2003 when I graduated culinary school. So I earned the title of chef. However, you know, I had been cooking a very long time. I always enjoyed cooking because it's, and baking especially. I actually became a pastry chef for five years at a Los Angeles restaurant, a vegan pastry chef. I always like the creativity involved with cooking and I also like eating too. So when people say they hate cooking, I'm thinking, well, then you must hate eating because cooking is like, I mean, it's so fundamental in my opinion. I grew up with people that cooked, you know, my grandmother, my, my aunts, my mother, everybody cooked food, you know, and from scratch and every day. So, you know, this idea now that Americans eat over, you know, 92% of their calories from animal products and processed food. It's like, gosh, they're really missing out on a lot because, you know, making food yourself from scratch, from whole foods, there's nothing like it. It's, it's actually therapeutic. It's delicious. But I remember when I was seven years old, I got an easy bake oven for Hanukkah. And I thought it was incredible. The science of baking, like when you're seven, you don't really understand that science is involved. And all I remember is taking a little packet, mixing it with water, putting it in the oven. And it was a light bulb. And like I, 10 minutes, I had a cake. And it's funny because I actually did become a pastry chef. So yeah, I, I've always you know enjoyed the process of cooking, but I didn't formally go to culinary school until it was after I had a diagnosis of precancerous polyps. And so what happened, and even though I had been a vegan for 26 years, I was not in the best of health. I was, I was obese. I was about, let's see, more than 60 pounds than I weigh now. I didn't really have any health markers like high cholesterol or high A1C. I didn't have diabetes or high blood pressure or high triglycerides. I think my vegan diet saved me for that, but I did have obesity and I did not eat a very healthy vegan diet. I was what a lot of people call a vegetarian. I oh, had yes. Coke Slurpees for breakfast, not, not just a regular Coke Slurpee, mind you, but with eight extra pumps of sugary vanilla syrup, I would have. Oh, wow. I know. Crazy. I mean, what 40 year old woman is like dependent on 7-Eleven for their daily fix. And I was made sure that I worked and lived in walking distance to a 7-Eleven because when you're that addicted to caffeine and sugar, sometimes you can't drive. So I would have Dr. Pepper big gulps for lunch. And it's funny because I remember I haven't had any sugar since July 6, 2003, but I remember when I did have my big gulps, I'm not even sure if they had free refills back then. This was almost 20 years ago, but I had a 48 ounce big gulp because I believe back then I'd have to verify this by, by Googling it or asking somebody in 7-Eleven is because I think that was the biggest size that they had. But now I believe if you go to 7-Eleven, you could get like something like a 256 ounce like, you know, soda, which, which I think is like insane. But anyway, I had a very unhealthy vegan diet because, you know, just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. Mm -hmm. Potato chips are vegan, French fries are vegan. Hey, even Oreos and cotton candy are vegan. Sugar is vegan. I think we can summarize it. (laughs) Yeah. Most most sugar is vegan. I think a lot of vegans don't realize that some sugar actually in the refining process, they use animal bones to char. So not all sugar is vegan. Honey is not vegan, but you're right. Ostensibly sugar, you know, with it, it is vegan, but just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. So I, when I woke up on January 1st, 2003, I was close to my 43rd birthday. I was bleeding profusely. And I went to my doctor. I had an HMO at the time, so I couldn't get a full-blown colonoscopy at that time, but they did a sigmoidoscopy. And they said that my colon was riddled with these, with the, I think they were called edematous polyps, but they said that if we don't remove them, they will turn to cancer because my family had a strong history of colon cancer. That's what my grandmother died of. My mom died of complications through that process. My uncle had 80% of his colon removed, but they couldn't remove the polyps during the normal procedure like they normally do with these calipers. 
because the doctor said I had a dirty colon. In other words, from not eating fiber for 43 years, being the only vegetarian that didn't eat any fruits and vegetables, unless you call Skittles as a fruit, <laughs> I had a very messed up colon. I mean, I, I was, I never, you know, went to the bathroom. I mean, you know, they say normal is what's normal for you. Well, that's not true because, you know, pooping once a week is not normal. Let me tell you that. So I wasn't eating any really fiber in my diet and I did not want to have actual surgery, surgery, which is what they said was the next step. And so that's when I went to the Optimum Health Institute. That was July 6, 2003, the last day I had any sugar, because I remember going to 7-Eleven on the way, because they can't, if they catch you with contraband, they keep kick you out. So I remember I asked the taxi driver to take me to 7-Eleven after he picked me up at the airport. And I quickly drank my Coke Slurpee and Dr. Pepper. And that was the last time I had either of those, I'm proud to say. And, uh, I went to this place where I learned that what you eat has a profound effect, not just on how you look and how you feel, but what diseases you actually acquire in life and what diseases you ultimately can reverse. And they talked about how disease can only exist when you have a state of inflammation in the body and everything I was eating, even though it was vegan, you know, sugar and caffeine and flour and oil and all this processed food was inflammatory. And they explained that eating fruits and vegetables, which duh, everybody should know is, is really the answer to eating an anti-inflammatory diet. And plus that's where you get all the fiber. And so I, I started doing that. I cut out processed foods completely, all the sugar, oil, flour, alcohol, salt. I never really drank alcohol, caffeine though, for sure. Very, I think it's a, I think it's a drug and I don't think it's good for really most people. And, you know, within six months, I completely healed these polyps. I went back and they had, they did the procedure again. And now my colon was clear, clean, pink, and vascular, like a newborn baby. And the doctor actually accused me of having had surgery somewhere else, <laughs> which of course I didn't. And that's when I really learned that this concept food as medicine, food is medicine. And it was because of that, that I went to culinary school, not because I was trying to be some chef, but because the way they taught us to eat at Optimum Health was so austere and draconian. It was basically just raw fruits and vegetables with no seasoning. And I could do it for a little bit to heal, but I didn't see myself being able to do it the rest of my life. And so that's when I decided to go to culinary school. Fabulous. I love that story. It's amazing. And what I'm hearing you saying is fruits and vegetables, which is like, that's what I'm always saying. Do the veggie dance, eat fruit and vegetables. It's so easy. Just eat more fruit and vegetables. So my question is, how do you make fruits and vegetables interesting? Like so many people, like I work with people and a lot of people are like, how do I cook fruit and vegetables? And I just say, well, just cook it. It's super easy. But I'd love to hear your take on, you know, how you make fruit and vegetables tasty. Yeah. Well, I want to back the camera up a bit before I answer that, because there's a bit, bit of a problem here with people understanding that the reason fruits and vegetables don't taste good to people that are addicted to processed food. So is true. Because, yeah. Yes. Because we have to, we have to go back first because yes, as a chef, I can totally tell you how to make them tasty. That's not a problem. I've written almost, I think five books now over 500 recipes and I can make fruits and vegetables. I can make food taste very tasty, but if when you say it's, it's interesting because at first you said interesting, and then you said tasty. And I, I, was a, I was a speech major in college. And so I listened to words very carefully. Mm -hmm. So tasty is not a problem, but interesting is a problem because I think about a saying that was said by Andrew Spudfit Taylor. He's a man in Australia who ate nothing but potatoes for an entire year, reversed all of his diseases, including food addiction and obesity and lost 120 pounds. And he's known for a saying, make your food boring, make your life interesting. 
I do not think that, I mean, not that you, you can do what you want, but if you are somebody that's struggling with weight or with food addiction, I don't think making your food interesting is a very good idea at all. Because I don't think we should be relying on food for entertainment. I think we should be relying on food for nourishment. And so people use food to medicate, to celebrate. And so this concept of making it interesting to me means, well, then we're still stuck in this process of food addiction. But as far as making it tasty, no problem. But here's the problem. One of the things I teach and I've been teaching for many years now is this concept of caloric density. That's what my second book, The Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss, is all about. And I talk about how food varies in caloric density. By the way, caloric density isn't about learning to to count calories or weigh and measure your food on a plate or memorize that there's a certain amount of calories in a half a cup of rice and a certain amount of calories in a cup of blueberries. Caloric density is about understanding that foods have a certain amount of calories per pound, or if you're, I guess it's per liter if you're in another country. And that the caloric density of food ranges from about 100 calories per pound on the low end, which is non-starchy vegetables, fruits are about two to 300 calories per pound, to 4,000 calories per pound for processed and refined oils. What a lot of people don't realize is that we have a neurotransmitter that's produced in the brain whenever we have a pleasurable experience. This is called dopamine. And whenever we engage in pleasurable experiences like food and sex, dopamine is released. And so all eating, whatever we eat, stimulates an appropriate amount of dopamine in the brain. But the more calorically concentrated the calories, the more dopamine is released. And so what happens is people become addicted to this artificial stimulation of dopamine in the brain by eating foods of such a high caloric density that nature never intended. You know, someone once said to me, whenever there's a problem, look to nature. There is no oil in nature. You cannot find oil anywhere in nature. You can find fat in nature in the form of nuts and seeds and avocado, which have a much lower caloric density. And by the way, those whole plant foods were actually seasonal for our ancestors because we actually evolved at a caloric density of about 700 calories per pound. But now Americans are eating such a high fat, high sugar, processed diet foods of such a high caloric density that they can no longer get pleasure from whole foods like fruits and vegetables and, you know, grains and beans, because these are of a more appropriate caloric density that we evolved in. So before I can tell you how to make food tasty, I think it's important for me to help you understand why you don't like these foods as it is. You know, people always say to me, well, you know, Chef AJ, if I ate like you, I don't know if I live longer, it would just seem like it because of course, everybody knows that chocolate tastes better than kale. And so I say, yeah, well, you know, but most people do. And so when I'm giving this lecture, I said, is there anybody here that will bet me a hundred dollars that that is true? And nobody ever will take that bet because the truth is we develop taste preferences for what we habitually eat and what we eat today, we will crave tomorrow, whether it's healthy or unhealthy. Now, chocolate is about 2,500 calories per pound, and people aren't really eating chocolate in the way it's found in nature. I mean, some people might eat a cacao nib, but we're eating it in a way where it's mixed with a lot of sugar, usually full fat dairy, more addictive chemicals like that, for example. And what people aren't understanding is that they say they like a food better because of its high caloric density, because they get more dopamine. It really has very little to do with taste. And the reason we know this 
is because they actually did experiments with, with people that were self-professed chocoholics. They brought them into the research lab. And by the way, this had nothing to do with weight or food addiction, but what, because chocolate always tops the list is like the most craved food by both men and women followed closely by pizza. And think about it. Pizza has all the addictive foods in it. It's got the sugar in the tomato sauce. It's got the flour in the crust and the oil in the crust. And it's got usually the meat on top and the dairy. So the people that were chocoholics, they gave them a buffet of, I, I think, every kind of chocolate imaginable, including whatever they said their favorite was. But before they unleashed them on the buffet, they injected them with a drug called naloxone. And naloxone is a drug that's used in the emergency room. If somebody were to have a what could be a fatal heroin overdose, it blocks the blood-brain barrier so that hopefully the patient doesn't die. Well, when they injected the chocoholics with naloxone, they walked up to the buffet. They looked for their favorite type of chocolate. They picked up what their favorite was. They took one bite and they put it back. They no longer had any interest in eating the chocolate. So was it no longer tasty? Was it no longer interesting? Or was something happening in the brain? And so this is the part that I really try to impress upon people that are that are struggling to eat healthy, that it's not because the food doesn't taste good. It is because you are so addicted to these high fat, high calorie foods that artificially stimulate dopamine in the brain, that until you refrain from eating them, you're never going to get pleasure out of the foods that nature intended. Yes, I totally agree with you 100%. And I think another thing I see is that people start off very scared of this journey, because there's this big fear of, oh, my goodness, I'm going to give up all these delicious foods. But actually, as you progress along this journey, you quickly realize that the, the, the vegetarian foods, the vegetables, they are amazingly tasty. Well, they, they can be, but, you know, not at first, like, I mean, you know, after drinking Coke Slurpees for breakfast for 43 years, I mean, I didn't like say, oh my God, Brussels sprouts are delicious. It took some time. It's called neuroadaptation, but now I mean, Brussels sprouts are delicious. And I don't mean just plain boiled Brussels sprouts, which to me are actually okay tasting. I mean, I, I, you know, when people that really hate vegetables, what I do, I, well, first of all, I tell them, eat the vegetable you hate the least, you yeah. know, because like same thing with exercise, I really don't like to exercise. So I do the, I, but I have, I mean, I don't have to, but it's recommended that I do because it helps me with stress and anxiety. So I pick the exercise I hate the least. It's a spin bike and I can watch my Netflix show while I'm on it. So <laughs> it's not so bad, but with vegetables, I always tell people there's gotta be something that you at least don't hate. Maybe it's a cherry mm -hmm. tomato or a cucumber, which technically are fruit, but that's fine to start. But one of the things you can really do to make vegetables really actually both interesting and tasty and delicious is the cooking method. And a cooking method that really helps people that hate vegetables, love vegetables, is called an air fryer. And oh, really? Any, yeah, oh my goodness, yes. You don't need to add any oil or salt to it. But what they do is they take the water out and they make them almost crisp, not, not crisp, like deep fried crisp, but they, they just, they make things like Brussels sprouts delicious. So putting them in an air fryer, I mean, they, they taste like candy to me. And then if you really want, you can glaze them. And by glaze them, I take something called balsamic vinegar, usually a good quality, reduced thick brand rather than a very high acidity, watery brand. And I can glaze them with many different flavors of the balsamic vinegars I used or a combination of balsamic vinegar and mustard. And it, I mean, it's what my grandma would call a taste thrill. It's that good. Wow, that's it. I'm going to get myself an air fryer. I've heard of them, but I've never bought them before. I live in Spain. And so we have 
beautiful vegetables here and I normally throw them in the oven because I'm lazy and that's just the easiest thing for me to do well you know in the oven is good too because roasting I mean first of all I didn't always have an air fryer and I still was able to make this recipe simply by roasting them in the in the oven which you can do on either like a piece of parchment paper or something called a silpat or nonstick silicone mat so for years I made it without an air fryer so roasting vegetables also it caramelizes them and brings out their sweetness. And, you know, you know, I have, I have a saying because I, you know, when, when I do like cooking demos is that everything starts with an onion. And it's true because if you take an onion and you caramelize it, which you can easily do, you don't need oil. You can do it by water sauteing or with vegetable broth. But when you start with an onion and then an onion and garlic and have like a foundation of layers of flavor, even vegetables that you may not love like greens, because it's hard to get people often to eat the, the bitter or the crucifix vegetables at first, but you start with this foundation of onion, garlic, or maybe onion, garlic, and mushroom, if you like it, you can pretty much make any vegetable taste delicious. Fabulous. So I have some questions for you. And I know that, you know, vegetarian cooking, vegan cooking does present some challenges when you're changing. So one thing I think is interesting is that umami taste that you get typically from meat, but you can get it from vegetables. So how can you incorporate that into your cooking? So, so there are, there are certain things and I know, I totally know what you mean by umami. And one of the things actually is mushrooms, mushrooms, a variety of mushrooms. They not only have a meaty texture for people missing that texture, but they have that rich umami flavor. I'm not a really huge fan of mushrooms, but what I can do is you can get mushroom powder, which are dehydrated mushrooms, and you can add that to the recipes or the broth. Miso, which is fermented paste, which could be made from soybeans or beans. They have different kinds of misos, even brown rice miso also has that umami taste. And, you know, things like soy sauce has the umami taste. And there's a product that a lot of people that are vegan use called nutritional yeast. It's different than brewer's yeast. And that also has that, that umami richness that people are looking for, which, which, you know, meat does have, as you mentioned. So another thing I see people talking about is something called, I can't remember what it's called exactly, but smokes or smoky flavor. Well, there could be something called liquid smoke, which yes, people add to things like split pea soup or beans. There's also smoked paprika. I, oh my God, you know, if I had to pick, I, I'd hate to have to pick one spice, but probably my favorite spice of all spices is smoked paprika. It's, well, I say I live in Spain. We use it all the time. <laughs> it's And people don't understand that when you call for smoked paprika in a recipe, it is so different than regular. It tastes different. It smells different. It's usually a darker color. That does really make a lot of difference in recipes. Okay. And how do you make vegan pastry? You've been a vegan pastry yeah, chef for so well, long. Tell me the yeah, secret I, of that. You know, it, it's really, well, you know, and people, you know, I think that, that vegan desserts are the easiest way to get people in the door because if people like meat, they like meat for whatever reason they like meat. And the same thing with cheese because, well, cheese is addictive, obviously, with the casomorphines. But the thing about dessert, people like dessert because it's luscious, it's rich, it's delicious. It's not the egg and it's not the dairy that is making it that way. They are completely they're not necessary in desserts. I mean, and and what's really amazing is I'd love to contact this chef who developed aquafaba. Well, he didn't develop it. Aquafaba was always in the can of chickpeas, but the chefs that started using it to make meringues and stuff, you don't, you really don't need eggs anymore to make any kind of vegan dessert. And you don't need dairy because now we have, you know, Miyoko's creamery. She makes every kind of cheese and butter. So vegan dessert to me is just dessert because when, when people eat fake meat, they may be fooled or they may not. But when people eat a cheesecake, I make a chocolate peanut butter cheesecake. 
and if I serve it to regular people, they're not like going, well, where's the cheese? Where's the egg? They, they, that's not what people eat dessert for. They don't, they don't eat dessert because they crave or need animal products. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it's a lot easier to sell and it's very easy to do. Also fruit, which is the basis of many desserts, whether vegan or not, is already vegan. Sugar, for the most part, is vegan. Flour, for the most part, is vegan. I personally don't use oil, but guess what? It's vegan. So it's a, it's just such a great way to make food for people that like are vegan curious because I, I worked at a restaurant that wasn't even vegan because my interview was just to make a bunch of desserts. So they didn't really care, you know, as long as they were delicious and they sold and they did. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know you're on a really tight schedule. So I'm going to finish now and say thank you so much. And oh. before we go, please tell people where they can find you more of you and your resources. Oh, well, thank you. And, and you know, I, I have I have more time just so you know, I'm not on that kind of a schedule. I have at least 10 more minutes if you choose. <laughs> but they can find me at my website, which is my name, Chef AJ, chefaj.com. If they'd like to sign up to be on my mailing list, we'll send them some delicious recipes. But also I do a YouTube show every day. I haven't missed a day in over two years now. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Thank you. The show is a live show, actually. Even though it's a YouTube show, I also stream it to Facebook and Twitter, but it airs live daily at 11 a.m. Pacific time. I've done over a thousand shows now, and every day I have an interesting guest. It's often a doctor. It's often a chef doing the demo, and if you can always watch any of the replays, but if you watch live, you actually get to interact with the live viewing audience and ask the guests question. It's called Chef AJ Live. If you just go to YouTube, Chef AJ, every single day at 11 a.m. Pacific, you will see me there. Fabulous. That's amazing. And I will definitely check it out. Okay. My last question for you is how do you make flans then? So yesterday I, so I'm not entirely vegan. I have four children and that's where I find it difficult to, to reduce the eggs and the cheese and things like that, because I'm cooking for, what should we say? Picky children. They eat lots of vegetables, but they still like, you know, bits of meat and, and animal products. But so yesterday I decided I was going to make a lovely onion tart. And, but then I realized I didn't have any eggs so I, I ended up making it with like lots of onions, like a French onion tart. And I ended up putting in just a jar of cannellini beans. But I thought, I'm sure that this isn't, it was a bit runny, you know, I'm sure there are other ways. Now I would have put chia seeds in it, but my kids don't like chia seeds. So I couldn't do that. Well, what, what was, what were you trying to replace with the cannellini beans? I was just trying to give it a little bit of like form a bit more. Well, I, my, my instinct tells me the first thing would be tofu. Oh, Okay. That's what I would probably do with tofu, you know, and as far as dairy and your kids, they, you know, I, they may not know I have, I don't, you know, I know you said you live in Spain, so I don't know what's available, but have you ever heard of Miyoko Shinner and her product line? Because her butter, which is vegan was voted better than tasting than real butter. And wow. she makes wow. a whole line of vegan cheeses that are award-winning and can fool sometimes even the pickiest eater. No, um, yeah. Well, in Spain, we are very limited on what we can get, actually. So we are quite excited that we can get non-dairy milks now. So now I can buy a decent oat milk and a decent soy milk, which doesn't contain sugar, because previously I've looked at them and gone, oh, my goodness, they've got these amazing oat milks, but they add sugar to them or they add fructose to them. So we are getting better. We are getting more exciting products, but we're still we still don't have as many products as you do in the States. Well, maybe one day you will, hopefully. (laughs) Fabulous. Chef AJ, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much.